1: Hey everybody, David here and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. In this episode, Lucas and I sit down with Daniel Claude Felter. Daniel is currently a technician with Legendary Automotive and Truck Repair Service in Fort Myers, Florida. He spent time working at both GM and Ford dealerships before making the jump to an independent repair facility. He also helps manage a Facebook group with over 5,200 automotive professionals in it and has a pulse on the current mindset of professional automotive technicians everywhere. Before we get started, if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast listening app, make sure that you have a set to automatically download the latest episode, and make sure you head on over to our YouTube channel where we've been dropping a ton of new content so you can be part of the conversation. And now, here we go.
0: Tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, tell a little bit of your story.
2: Um, well, I'm Daniel. I work for legendary automotive currently in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, I didn't actually grow up in a wrenching family. My father was an aircraft mechanic in the air force. Um, he got in and out a couple of times, but here nor there, we didn't wrench on anything at home. He in fact never took care of any of his cars, <laughs> like the epitome of the worst maintenance you can think of. right? um, and then and now i lived in indiana most of my younger adult life and i was a shipyard welder had 30 some certificates through aws and u.s coast guard and uh then i moved down here started welding down here didn't like to pay down here went back to college went to daytona state got a two-year degree Still got to finish some actual classes at the college campus to get the degree, but I finished the automotive program, which was two years. I finished it in like a year and a half because I was oh, doing wow. I was doing eight a.m. to five p.m. There was two classes, and I was doing that every single day, as as each semester allowed it. There was I think there was only one semester that I couldn't do two at a time, right? And then uh, got out of that, went to work at a real small mom and pop shop and I was like, nah, this place ain't for me. So I ended up getting hired at a Tire kingdom, rode that out for about six months and then got a shot at working at a Chevrolet dealership in new Smyrna, uh, Florida. Yeah. New Smyrna, Florida, actually new Smyrna Chevy at the old shop. They moved, built a new one, but I worked there for about two years, but, you know, I kind of transitioned from, not knowing more than school into being more of a heavy line guy, though there were some struggles along the way with management and such. And then went to the other Chevrolet in Daytona, John Hall Chevrolet. Worked there for almost five years, four and a half years. Kind of really got my niche into, you know, drivability diagnostics. Really got a nap for heavy line repair and then uh, some management shifts and so on and so on. And I believe they there going to Ford and I just could not stand working for Ford. Like, right. I didn't like the product. I didn't like their service info. I just, you know, and it may be that I grew up, you know, for the most part as a GM guy, but everything was backwards to me when I went to Ford. Right. I just didn't like it. And then uh, left there and got a salary job, well, hourly job at an AMCO, just being a pure diagnostic guy. And it was Literally as easy as a diagnostic job as you could ever ask for. All he wanted to know was is it electrical, internal, or mechanical? Right. Like he didn't get, he did not want you to go in and figure out what was wrong. Cause all <laughs> right. he, all he's going to do is sell him a, you know, removal and either replacement or a rebuild. Right. He, after that, he didn't care. He said, if it's external, then you're the guy that can figure it out. Right. So. And then Jason Labonte, who's actually kind of our, you know, shop foreman, if you will, yeah. um, he started hitting me up on Facebook, you know, because he had seen this, seen me through the other Facebook groups, including the one that I have. Um, kind of started talking about having me come down and look at the shop. And at the time, I was going through a pretty nasty divorce, so it really wasn't a good time, time frame as far as custody and such with my son. And then. He, you know, he hinted at it a couple more times. And as my divorce finalization was getting near, I started considering it more. And, you know, I just had my daughter at the time was maybe one and a half, almost two. So it started to make more financial sense with kind of the things that him and I were discussing. And right. you know, one thing led to another. And here I am.
0: Dude, that's awesome. How long have you been with him?
2: With Legendary, just yeah. over a year. I started October of 20. Very cool.
0: Very cool. So, um, you know, one of the things that we keep talking about is is this independent versus um, the dealer, right? Or the, the, the bigger fleet shops, the chain shops, things like that. Yeah. You know, and a lot of technicians, one of the concerns that they have is switching from one brand to a shop that works on everything. What's been your perspective of that so far?
2: Well, that's actually for me, you know... Being my personality style, that was a huge factor for me ever leaving because I there was times I wanted to leave John Hall Chevrolet many times because of frustrations. And right. being as critical as I am and my personality type, it's like, am I really as good as I think I am? Yep. Or is it just I'm a one trick pony? Right. So, you know, for anybody that thinks they're good enough, regardless of what other people may think, I mean, I would recommend them to make the leap because you'll never know. You ten years, you may never, Amen. you may never know what that avenue could end up at. Right. You know, I, I, mean, I
0: agree. Definitely.
2: I mean, in hindsight, leaving the dealer and going the path I've went led me to where I am now.
1: Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now
0: Click the link in the show notes to get started.
2: And frankly, I couldn't imagine in hindsight that I'd be where I am.
0: Right. Well, so, you know, one of the things that, that we're always hearing about is, and, and you know, we just did some episodes on this here recently, is is talking about flat rate, talking about pay systems mm-hmm. that don't reward the technician, right? I'm sure you saw some of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and you know, so my question for you is is, have you been treated well at these places? What has your experience been where you've been in these shops? What tell us a little
2: bit about it? Um I will say I absolutely love Flat Rate when I was at GM, both in okay. my first dealer and the second. I just maybe it's me and how I grew up in that particular model and brand it made sense to me and it just worked. Like right. I got I just got it. And then I mean I can make 65, 70 hours on, you know, flat rate under warranty. No problem. If the work was there, it was easy to do. You know, there was no problems having seven, eight GM engines outside, tore down, waiting on parts. Okay. But leaving that, going to Ford, you know, and maybe it was my own struggles as a technician. I didn't make hardly any money at Ford. Right. You know. Maybe I just didn't get their system and, you know, management. I I mean, I didn't really have an issue with the management, but I just didn't feel that it was the same playing level as when I was a GM. Granted, I went from a shop that had 25 techs to probably 60 techs. Right. You know, GM versus Ford. Now I'm, now I'm salaried and have had an hourly hundred percent. I don't think I'd ever want to go back to flat rate on any circumstance,
0: Do you, so let me ask you this. Do you, now that you've seen this transition from the outside looking in, A, do you think flat rate causes techs to cut
2: corners? That's, see, to me on that, and I've looked at that in the past, I don't think that's a tech thing. I think that's a personality trait and or ethics issue. I mean, yes. Can it? Can a flat rate system encourage some corners to be cut and bad decisions to be made? Absolutely. But I've seen just as many hourly techs do the same thing. Why would they need to? Yeah. So I think it really boils down to ethics.
0: Right. Your, your desire to create a quality product. To make exactly. Sure your,
2: your product is quality. I I think
0: that's one hundred and ten percent accurate. So you know, it's kind of cool that you had some other experience before you came to this and long term experience a lot of guys are bailing on the automotive industry right now, as far as repair technicians, you ran to it. Yeah. Why did you run to it when everybody else was running away? And what, you know, how, how did that come to be? Like, why'd you decide to go there?
2: Honestly, I kind of, I really wanted to be on a race team. That was, and my goal was to go to school and learn how to do that stuff and get the basics because as what I wanted to do, it really wouldn't have needed to know every facet like I do today. You know, right. I could gear myself more towards the race application, whether it be the fabrication side, having welding experience, you know, having welded, you know, in Daytona, there's a gentleman I used to do his welding for him. Um, I built his, it's a Lotus based on a Lotus seven. And it's exact spec plus some safety bars for SCCA. Um, but I welded like 80% of his chassis and then his Morgan four, four plus that he oh, wow. reti- retired into. Yeah. Cause they actually share the same engine. The Lotus seven, uh, had a Ford Cortina one, uh, 1500 E and the four, four plus is basically the same engine. So he take a, he took a r D D2 race engine and put that into his Morgan. That's pretty crazy. So yeah.
0: You know, you made this shift over. What's been your experience? I mean, is it is it better than the welding industry that you were in before? Is it worse? Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people really seem to be hating on the, the automotive repair industry right now. What, what's your perspective?
2: Well, it kind of, how do I put it? I, I kind of got out of welding for a lot of reasons was the financial down here. In my experience, it was nowhere near the same. I mean, I was living in Daytona welding in Orlando, an hour drive each direction at best. Wow! Yeah, for fifteen bucks an hour doing iron work, I'm like, nah, this ain't happening. That's crazy, dude. Like they didn't want to pay, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to college. I went and looked at all the stuff, and I'm like, oh, this is what I got.
1: So, yeah, I don't know how long ago were there were they paying fifteen dollars an hour to welders.
2: Uh, that would have been around 2008,
1: 2008.
2: Yeah. That was, I worked on, um, when I, (laughs) when I was hanging iron, it was a little, real small company, like wasn't no big company. It was like two trucks and probably 10 guys, but we were, we were uh, contracted on one of the, uh, hospitals, downtown Florida for their parking garage and some office space too. So it wasn't like it was a bad contract.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it was right after the the Great Recession, or I, I guess the stock market had just crashed and everybody lost their their jobs. kind of makes sense that yeah. all of a sudden uh, there's lots of people looking for work and welders are cheap to come by. They're not paying $15 an hour now. I
2: yeah, and, and, and the thing is, when I took the job, it was kind of like a last-ditch, or not last-ditch, but a... I needed a job because crane cams, um, I was a maintenance technician there in between welding and going to school and crane cams had just been previously purchased by a company called Micronite and they were actually going out of business completely. And then that was basically right about eight months before S&S bought them. So they laid everybody off. Hmm.
0: That's nuts, and and so you know the way we met was through Jeff Compton, and yeah. uh, you know I, I've always looked up to Jeff. Jeff is a dear friend of mine, yep. And and Jeff was really interested to hear some of your perspective and some of your ideas about technician treatment, about how um, about how our industry has evolved to where it is right now. You know, because it's it, it's definitely a unique story because so many of the people we're talking to are saying, Hey, I'm ready to get out. And here you are, you're aligned with with Jason and, and you're like, Look, man, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to keep going at this thing. I'm ready to grow. I'm ready to get better. I'm ready to to do whatever it takes. What what created that for you as a technician in that business? Is it is it the culture of the business? Is it the pay? Tell us tell us what created that drive to keep doing that.
2: For me honestly it's just I it, I guess being who I am I just I can see that finished product whether I diagnose it whether I fix it you know whatever the case is it's that gratification after the fact that drives me to you know continue to do this and then obviously I see what else is out there that I can learn and be more proficient or you know just do a better job for the customer.
0: Right. Right. And so you've actually got a Facebook group is that right? Yes sir.
2: What's the name of the Facebook group? Automotive Technicians Only. Okay. Or All techs. Right. And,
0: and so, like, you've got kind of an inside perspective. You, you have the chance to really get in there and watch and see what the guys are talking about. You have a chance to really hear it from a, a very root level. What do you think technicians feel right now? What are they feeling about our industry? You know, as, as shop owners, this is really important to us because it seems in so many ways we're divided. Right. It seems like the technicians are looking at the owners like, man, you guys are you guys are pieces of shit. You're loading up your pockets and we're not getting anything. You're not taking care of us. You're not buying equipment, whatever it is. And the owners are over here looking at the other side of this saying, guys, we're doing everything we can do. You know, and, and in the same respect, David and I have said this at length, like, why in the hell are you staying in hack shops? Why are you staying working for a guy that's a piece of shit and he's not taking care of the clients or the techs? When there's shops that are looking for good techs and on the flip side of that, you know, one of the things we talk about is, is, hey, we see a lot of crappy techs going to shops to the point that shops are afraid to even take a gamble on a tech because they're like, man, I heard this guy. He said he was a master tech. The next thing I know, I've got a car in the bay on fire <laughs> and the guy leaves. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, how, what, what's your perspective of that? Because like I one of our visions, one of our dreams is to pull our industry together a little bit.
3: Oh, right? I can't to agree more.
0: And, and so like, what is your perspective? How do we begin to do that? Because I promise you, right? Like every single time I come into the group and we're talking and we're having great conversations, it never fails. There's one technician who says, man, the owners are pieces of shit. They're loading their pockets with money. I'm not making anything. I mean, how do we how do we reach somebody like that? What's your perspective?
2: I think, honestly, at the end of the day, from what I've seen, what I've experienced and spoken with other technicians in private or in person, I think a lot of it boils down to financial. At the end of the day, yeah, they're going to come put out. Yeah, you're going to have bad guys that are going to milk the system if you pay them other than flat rate. But as a whole, most of them want to come in and they're like me, want to get the job done, do it right the first time, provided the equipment, the gear and all of that is there. Which, right. you know, that's a multifaceted discussion on itself is the equipment. But I think a lot of them just want to know that their family and their bills are going to be paid. And then you take that stress away. What else are they left with?
0: Right. Right. You know, is is it, are we seeing that many technicians that are underpaid, do you think?
2: Oh, 100%. I mean, okay. I mean, me and Brian were just talking about this the other day on, you know, in our, my group, my Facebook group, uh, admin chat, there's way too many people that are way underpaid. And then there's guys that are, you know, that, you know, that think they should be paid more than they're worth or whatever. That's not the point. I don't care what the door chart, you know, what you guys charge at the door as an owner from a technician standpoint, as long as I'm happy with what you and I have discussed on a pay agreement, I'm good. You want to charge $300 an hour at the door and give me, you know, 40, whatever the case is, I'm good with that.
0: You you bring up a really important point. As long as I'm happy with our agreement. Right. Yeah. And I think that I think that speaks volumes on both sides of this equation. Right. Because. You know, one of the things I'm always saying, and people are really tired of hearing me harp about it. The reason technicians in a lot of cases, not all cases, but a lot of cases, right? We talked to a lot of technicians and we talked to a lot of owners. The reason a lot of technicians are being underpaid today is because the owner of the shop was a technician who never learned to be a shop owner. They uh, never okay. learned how to make the shop profitable. They're still out there fixing cars they got their hood under the or their head under the hood of the car right yep now that's not everybody right there are owners who are absolutely loading pockets and they're like man all I wants a boat I'm gonna sell this place the first chance I get right I get that that's definitely out there thankfully I've not worked for that <laughs> <laughs> right but but you know I I can speak from my personal experience the reason my people were underpaid and they weren't treated the way they should be treated was because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And so you say that, and it so they wouldn't really... be
1: paying underpaying at dealerships. Are they underpaying at dealerships?
2: For the most part, I mean, when I worked at John Hall Chevy in Daytona. Now, granted, where I'm currently at with Legendary in Daytona, I think the cost of living's a little offset, more expensive here, which it's gone way up in the past year. I don't understand why, but that's here nor there. We can
1: talk about that if you want.
2: No. <laughs> Cause I'll lose my mind, <laughs> but in, let's just for reference, let's say Daytona is not super expensive in the cut in the realm of Florida. Right. So I was making 24 bucks an hour flat rate at Chevy. And I was about 75 to 80% towards master. The only uh, reason I wasn't is because my dealership would never send me to hands-on training class. I did two in four and a half years. Wow. Like, that was all I needed. I had all the ASCs that, you know, up and I didn't have all. I had six. So, literally, I was working towards master because my actual end goal was to be a world-class GM tech because there's only like 1,500 of them from my understanding. Yeah. But, nonetheless, they would never send me the hands-on class, which was a big, is like, you know, that kind of irritated the hell out of me.
1: So, that, that's real common. I, I hear that all the time. The, the dealership will keep you, they will they will get you to a certain point where they're like, well, you're doing 90, 95% what we need you to do. And that last 5% might be something you want, but it doesn't make us any extra money. Right. You're making if us anything, plenty. anything, it costs them yeah.
0: more money. It's so going to cost them more that. money
1: to send you to the training, and now you're eligible for higher pay. But you're not doing any more work. It's like the 1% of work that comes in. Right. The other ninety nine percent you can knock out, so they can keep you at twenty four rather than paying you thirty. Right, and you'll get most of the work done. I, I have a tech who works for me now. He stayed uh, at. They put him on the lube rack. It was first come first serve, and man, he started taking the key of training. But he got to the point where he's like, "Hey, uh, I need you guys to move me up, or I need to go to this training." They wouldn't send him. They kept. They had him doing engine swaps. They had him doing dash poles. They had him doing whatever they would give him his normal pay and the rest the, the technician that was in charge got the uh, the extra chunk the dealership was making the spread and they were making a killing oh yeah a Kia dealership they were doing engine swaps all day long and yeah. he was like way underpaid for what he was doing and he did it for like 10 years it was nuts
2: and the thing is i get that you know you understand going going in that for the most part in a certain general region of, you know, whether it be your state or the country, you're going to make a general set kind of amount and you're going to max out there. You know, Daytona was pretty much 25, 24 to 30 bucks an hour master L one didn't matter. That's what you were getting.
0: And, and, you know, so here, I I don't want to lose sight of something you said a minute ago though, right? Because you said, as long as we are in agreement, Mm -hmm. Right. I am really concerned that a lot of these problems are stemming from the fact that, A, the owner is either afraid to ask or is not having the proper conversation to understand what the tech wants, right? And the tech is not having the proper conversation with the owner, whether it's in the initial agreement. In other words, like I I think as an employee, you have a responsibility for yourself to understand what that conversation sounds like, what it is that I want. Make sure it's on paper. Make sure that we're all getting what we've said, right? Mm-hmm. What's your minimum level of acceptable performance? Okay, great. I I can meet your minimum level of acceptable performance. Here's what I need to, to be whole financially, mm-hmm. right? And that's an important conversation. I can tell you that a lot of the conversations I've had with technicians comes back to the whole big deal of, well, I don't really know what I need. Um, okay, well, I want to help you. I want to help you grow. And it really depends on your ability to perform. You have to know yourself. You have to know how many hours you can turn. I get this is a different facility. Let's do a trial run. I have to dig for that information a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I think having that conversation or at least the ability to have that conversation and know what your number is. Right. There's a instructor and and every time he says it and he's going to kill me because he's going to listen to this. Every time he says this in a class, like I burst out laughing, have to cover my face. But he's over here and he says, it's Mount Nut. You have to know what Mount Nut is. And I'm like, dude, you could have named anything, but he's like, you got to know what your nut is. You got to know how much you have to
2: have. Can't agree more. And and Jason, like when I started getting talking with Jason Labonte about coming down here, I had made an original visit, you know, just to meet everybody, kind of see what the layout of the shop was. And when I came back the second time, I mean, I'd already met Stretch the first time. But the second time is when me and Stretch went to dinner and, you know, kind of discussed. Not we didn't necessarily discuss exact numbers, but kind of where I was, you know, and like it was probably three or four days later when he sent over the offer letter. And it was exactly that, you know, granted, I know. My skill, I'm good. My skill level and pay is not exactly worse. You know, I'm, I'm paid higher than what my skill level is. I'm, I'm good. But in order for me to come down here and move away from my son and right. like you said, be whole financially, this is what okay. it made sense. And this, if you want it, this is it. And he was good with that. He knew what I was willing to perform at a level. And I have, you right. know, obviously everybody has ups and down weeks. We've added, you know, more tech since then. Not making excuses. I still perform, but right. regardless, and it's not like he's breathing down my neck on the bad weeks when I may make 30 or 35 hours when I'm held to this number over here. He right. Right. And he's very number guy. He sees Dude, it. See,
0: that, that is so important, right? And and it, it's something I think so many people miss. Like we hear the dealership argument frequently. And I, I, I don't want to turn this into an argument, the dealership versus the fleet versus the independent. I don't want it to be bad. I loved the dealer when I was there. Yeah, and a lot of people do. But there there's definitely a different type of culture involved oh. in different types of environments, and there are environments where if you don't hit your number, right? Man, I'm sorry, I got to let you go. I can't do this. Right? I have to have that number. And and you know, we we did a podcast with uh Bill Nalu and and he mentioned something. He said, "What if you put in your hiring ads that you would give grace?" right? That if you made a mistake, that's not the end of the world. You're part of the family. We all make mistakes. It's okay. I look back at my time as a technician. I've realized there's a lot of things that I made a mistake on that I gave myself forgiveness for, right? Because it was my mistake. And I realized I couldn't have done anything about that. It was a stupid mistake. I should have thought it through, whatever it was. I would forgive myself.
2: I love that. That shit eats me up.
0: Exactly. And now now as shop owner, I, I feel it's important that I give that grace. Now, a lot of shop coaches say, no, don't give grace at all. You can't be given grace. You can't do that because then they'll learn to take advantage of you, blah, 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 blah. Dude, that grace is so important when it comes to to having a culture that works and having people who are in line with what you're trying to accomplish. You have to give grace. So when things go sideways, Man, it's okay. You're not going to lose your job over that. I mean, if you do something stupid over and over and over again, come on now. You got to come. comment. Right, right, right. You know?
1: David, what do you think about it? Let's make it a dealership versus independent <laughs> conversation. I'm good with it.
2: <laughs> I honestly, I'll be honest with you, five, six years ago, I would have never thought I'd be an independent tech. Really? 100%. What was your uh, so
0: when you were in the dealer? What was your perspective of independent shops?
2: See that really kind of being, I guess maybe I was still new in the business because even currently I'm only nine years in, right? So, alls on my experience was Daytona and what I see online. That's right. it. So really, when it boiled down to the dealership level versus my independence, that I would see, obviously, I thought they were mostly hacks. But I didn't know any of the independent shops. Right. Because all my tech friends were GM, Toyota, Ford, whatever the case was. Right. I didn't know any real independent guys. And then the ones that's, that I worked so with. It's
1: so weird because uh, in the, the good independent guys – They think the same thing at dealership techs, the ones (laughs) I've talked to. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing. Now
2: I see the other side of it being independent techs, and I see stuff coming from BMW, Mercedes, Land Rover. And it's like, really? I was a dealer tech, and that shit wouldn't have left. You know, know. my name on it? No way. Right. And and the other thing is, is that there's a lot of cars that
0: they're sending us that, that, you know, and I've said this before. I, I have upset people saying this. Like, the reason the shop down the street didn't fix that is because it's not profitable to fix. Don't be the freaking hero, right? But we're seeing a lot of things that that aren't hero fixes. They're basic fixes. They're basic diags that the dealer's like, man, that's way over our head. Sorry we can't help you send it down the road.
2: See, and that was the thing. As a dealer I was at, it was instilled in me and ingrained, we're the last stop. We fix it or it don't get fixed. So I carried that mentality, and it probably made me cocky towards independence at that time but when i got you, at it
1: you talking to other technicians though is that common because I, I guarantee you like around around me that is not the case these uh, it's a it's a profitability mentality and it, just like lucas is saying is if if we can't throw a part at it if it doesn't fall in that you know in that realm we're gonna move on and when we see misdiagnosed cars from the dealership all the time we see improperly repaired cars. They threw the part at it, didn't fix it. They had to move on. We end up seeing it. Now, sometimes this, these cars are sometimes five-plus years old, so they're outside of that window. But my biggest issue is just the way they're churning people. So they, oh, yeah. they pull them in. You know, you said 60 texts. That's insane. So uh, some of these uh, dealerships around me are 25, 26 base. So they're pulling in 20, 25, whatever. however many techs, into these bays. And it's, hey, if you're not flagging enough hours, out the door you go, they run them ragged, and then they kick them out. And then they leave the industry entirely.
2: I never experienced that per se at my dealerships, but I only worked at two dealerships, or three with Ford. I mean, maybe a couple times you could say that at Ford, but I think that, you know, not having been there long enough, I didn't know the full dynamics, but I felt like there was previous issues before that with certain texts or whatever you call it, but they basically just got starved out. Yeah. starved how? just not giving work to them.
1: They certain made them spe- like specific texts. Yeah. Them yeah,
2: out. yeah. But so it wasn't that. because of performance or may, I mean, physical performance work, t- you know, ethics or whatever you want to call it.
0: You know, I, it, it, I shouldn't share this story. I'm going to, um, and some folks have heard this story before, but I am friends with someone who was a Ford technician, right? And this person ended up in an entire service department ended up in trouble over this. But what had happened is this particular technician, um, every time they had a car in that felt like it had issues, it needed uh, an engine, let's say uh this particular technician would take brake lathe shavings and dump them in the engine oil.
2: I think I've heard this.
0: And and this was a very common thing. And long story short, someone at Ford called on that this technician had an astoundingly high requirement for engine replacements. And this technician made a fortune and he would pick the cars he wanted to pick and he would put you know brake shavings out of the lathe and he wanted to do brake jobs and engine jobs, <laughs> and I guess they they fed each other, you know, and it's ridiculous, and and so like, I, I, that's a bad apple, right? And and it could happen to anybody. It could happen to any of us, but I think yeah, that's I one of,
1: I, I've I've heard a story of a, a technician who would recommend he would get to a certain point at diag, and he would just end up recommending an engine yeah and <laughs> well you like, said whoa how's an engine gonna fix that and they're like well you know i'll get most of the engine harness off the used engine and you know it'll will end up replacing mostly all of it so it'll probably whatever the problem is it'll probably get fixed
2: well it's funny you say that i actually personally know this story because i was at the ford dealer when this happened <clears throat> so we all know about the ford focus clutch jobs
3: mm-hmm
2: so there was one guy at this Ford dealer that I worked at in Daytona. I am not going to mention any names that here nor there, but if somebody happens to work at that particular place, they'll know this story as well. Um, at the point when I was basically already made up my mind to leave, he was starting to get Ford's attention. and already had Ford's attention for the clutch jobs. They started noticing that his, so in the Ford procedure, you have to do a reading before and after. Mm -hmm. Well, they started catching his timestamp for his before, which was the actual after effect. When he would first start the car, it would shutter immediately. He'd capture that and turn that in as his before. Then he'd go Uh break Uh the clutch Uh in. Uh He was doing on average, I worked there about a year and a half, maybe just under a year and a half. He was literally doing two to three a day for a year and a half. When I left, I knew of 30,000 back charge for two months, and they were still going back.
0: Man, and, and you know, hey, listen, I'm, same thing with door hinges. I saw a guy do something very similar with the Ford uh, door hinge recall. And and manipulating the system and getting to where he could do the door hinges really quickly and he did not care if you pulled out of that parking lot and the door fell
2: off the car that wasn't his problem he could care less you know uh, that, it's astonishing this you know and that goes back to ethics that has nothing to do with is. flat rate I mean maybe flat rate does play into somebody who's already weak and gullible or whatever you know term you want to put on it it's just gonna intensify that lack of ethics but if you don't have your ethics as a human being. So
1: it doesn't so matter.
0: That's my. That was. That, that, that was where I was though. going. That's
1: the with issue, it. though. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's where the I was. Issue. That was ahead, my ahead, question.
0: Is, is paying that way, um, almost advertising, or or maybe not advertising, but it's appealing to someone who would do that. Oh, a hundred percent. Right. In other words, it's more about the fact we're appealing to someone who would manipulate the system, who would be trying to do that. And listen, folks. It doesn't, there's good people and bad people everywhere. Yep. No, no matter what, right? Hold on, like, hold on,
1: hold on, hold on, hold on. When you're hiring somebody, okay, you break everybody into three categories. Mm-hmm. They're the 10% that would never, ever lie, cheat, or steal. All it right. doesn't matter. They could be starving and a piece of bread falls off the bread truck and they would pick up the bread, run it to the truck and put it in. Yeah. They could be starving. They need to feed their family and they wouldn't take the bread because it's dishonest. And then you have 10% that will do it every opportunity they can. Sociopaths, psychopaths, whatever. They, they're they deranged. And they'll do it just to do it. And then you have the 80%. And the 80% will do it if they are given, if within their minds, they can justify it. Mm-hmm. I've been cheated. I've been stolen from. The, the employer's making too much. That owner just pulled up in a brand new car and I'm driving this jalopy. They will find a reason. And if they can justify it in their mind, they will do it. So the question then becomes, in under flat rate, does it encourage that kind of behavior? I think it does. But whatever, I think right, it does. The,
2: but if you've already got shit ethics, you got shit ethics as yeah, a human. Well,
1: that's what I'm saying, though. Like that, yeah. that 80% will swing one way or the other. You can mm-hmm. say, well, I would never do that. Well, at some point, you just draw on a line somewhere in, in, on that scale where you're like, well, I'll do this, but I won't do that. Or I won't do any of those things, but I'll do this other thing. You just drawn a, le- a line where you're you yourself, you as the individual saying I'm not going to do that. The 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 argument against salary hourly or wh- whatever you want to phrase it is is the lazy tech, the tech that heat cycles every vehicle. You know who you are. <laughs> and <laughs> David, your technician doesn't listen to the podcast, bro. I know. That's why. Yeah, this is funny. <laughs> and so, you know, every, everything needs a heat cycle. And so that, that, you know, our job is 1.1 1. 1 or 1. 1.2 yep. and everything turns into just slightly longer than it needs to, because there's no hustle. Right. And I get that. That makes sense. And so you have to stop and think and go, well, which one do I want? I would almost take the the slightly lazy tech that can't do it in eighty percent of the time. He takes a hundred to one hundred twenty percent of the time, almost every time. uh, Versus what you were just saying there, and and I get it. But they in their minds, they're not defrauding the customer. They're defrauding you know a huge corporation like anymore.
2: Well, the thing was, it wasn't just clutches, like. With Ford, you're pretty lenient versus what my experience with GM, like, oh your valve cover's leaking, just add it to the ticket. You know, front covers leaking. Well, Ford Focus, you can do how many front covers? They're always leaking. Yeah. So you know, it's not just and it's not just but it's not just the clutches that he was going. you know, now that they're going back on. So now that dealership's looking at probably two you know, because he's worked there. I think he had worked there two, three, four years. So, so. Ford
1: is, is going to charge back the dealership. So the dealership's going to end up eating it? Yes. Okay. So I, that's what I'm saying. It's like in his mind, he was probably justified in his mind thinking, well, I'm just defrauding this billion dollar corporation, Ford. And even if they get they get the uh, Ford finds out, they end up back charging the dealership. And the dealership makes hundreds of millions of dollars or at least tens of millions of dollars. Who cares? Right. I'm going to get mine. And, you know, because, you know, A, B, and C, I, you know, I got three kids. They need to go to college, whatever. Like, they, yeah. everybody comes up with some reason to do something that's a little sketchy. And so I, all I'm saying is, at the end of the day, like, I get the argument. Some You know, there was one uh, comment on one of the YouTube uh, videos that we did, uh, Lucas. I don't know if you read it, but the guy was saying, I think this was episode seven, the one we did with Mike Allen. Where mm-hmm. where we were having a conversation about getting to know the employee and you know, finding out about their family situation and, you know, let's talk about retirement, what's that gonna look like? Do you own a house? Do you not own a house? Let's get you into a house, let's talk about investments, let's you know, and you start to get very personal with these people. And he's like, Don't ask me about my life. Like I'm coming to work, I'm gonna do my job, and then that's it. Don't ask me about my my situation at home. You don't need to know. Or you know what do my financials look like. You don't need to know. And I'm coming. You're paying me to do a job. I'm coming in to do that job, and then that's it. And I get that to a certain degree. To yeah. a certain degree, you know, you're in a dealership with sixty techs. That's probably how it's going to be. At least you can do that, right? But you're in a small shop. You know, I've got four techs. Yep. You know, these people are. I'm spending nine to twelve hours a day with some with some of these yeah. guys, like. That's a long time to spend with people that you Absolutely. decide uh, just, I don't care to know anything about you, just come in and do your job. And then that's it. Like yep. that doesn't make any sense. And like you're saying financially whole, well, that that's more than pay. You see yep. what I'm saying? Like that's way more than pay. And like you get to a certain point with some people, Parkinson's law kicks in. And so like, yeah, I, I could live off 60,000, but there'd be some nice stuff I'd like to have at 75. And then at a hundred, but then your expenses start to creep up to meet that new pay. Right. So, and, yeah. and with some people it never ends. And so yeah. now it's like, I got to have the car. That's like, okay, I got to the car. Well, now I got to have the car and the boat I have the car, the boat, the car, the house and the girlfriend and the expenses just keep going up and up and up. No financial and, management. And no financial no. management. Yeah. And so like, it, it, it's uh, and for me, it ends up being less about like okay, what am I paying them versus let's make them financially whole. Can they afford to to buy a house? Like the number one tool for for uh, financial success or at least generational wealth in the U.S. is buying a house. Like yeah. that's where everybody ends up yeah. uh, putting all their money into is is their is buying real estate, right? So. Network. it sure.
0: always gets – the house always
1: builds value. It always has value. Almost always, right? Yeah. So like uh, unless it's 2007.
2: Start buying then, cars apparently. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> well, no. It's like uh, I have a friend who, who had a tech and the, it was the girlfriend in the race car. He was always out of money. If this guy was well-paid, well-paid, yeah. especially for a skill level. He was very well-paid, but girlfriend in the car. You'd spend it on the girlfriend and spend it on the car. And he was always out of money. And when it was, I spent it on the race car and now the girlfriend wants the money. Oh, you're not making enough money. You need to go ask your boss for more money. What's going on? Why can't you're not stepping up as a man and asking for more money? That's what it would turn into. So he would come into work all upset and Hey, what's going on? So you're not paying me enough. I just gave you a raise earlier this year. Like how many more raises do you want? Well, you're yeah. just not paying me enough. I keep running out of money. It's like, well, that's not a me problem. That's a, yeah, yeah. you problem. And so you have to be really careful about who you bring in because, yeah, it can be very easy. Look, we had comments on the YouTube channel where people are like, hey, I'm making $175,000 a year at flat rate at a dealership. Okay, that's great. And and my, I think my comment to one of them was like, okay, I'll check back in 20 years when the, the back hurts the legs hurt the knees hurts and you can't hustle at the same speed but now you have 20 years of knowledge you you may think well great i should still make 175 but if the market doesn't dictate 175 or you can't produce up to 175000 you're in a pickle so what are you going to do then you're going to be screwed yep. you know like you can go into an independent make 100000 flag 45 hours a week and be helping another technician coming up because you're in the right situation but you didn't see that as important you just wanted the 175,000 a year and you ended up not doing anything smart with that financially and I'm not saying that's the case with this guy but man you can see that very easily happening yeah that if at, you can live off 60 and you're making 100 that 40 should be banked for something it should be going absolutely
0: long term right and, that, and, and you going, need to be putting it back
2: and that's the thing with this current job you know I have not in a, the almost year and a half of whatever you want to call it, or year three months, not one time has financial, you know, crossed my mind that I needed more money or I needed to talk to the owner, you know, not once. Well, you know, and, and, and I don't and foresee needing to.
0: Here's the deal is, is, you know, kind of what David was bringing up. I, I had somebody years ago that, that, kept having financial troubles, they went and got a loan, paid off all their credit cards, and they're like, I'm going to, you know, it's going to make it better. I'm going to consolidate. I'm going to have some money. And then they go run the credit cards back up and get more credit cards. Now they got just as much owed or, or double of what they owed before. And it, you know, it, it snowballs. So it's something you got to be really careful about. You got to be smart about your money.
2: I don't own a credit card. Never have. <laughs>
0: Oh, you lucky dog. Uh so Two know, X what? wives though. Oh, that's expensive. <laughs> oh, man, Shannon mind. that works for me's he got five. <laughs> oh, um, Lord. Yeah. He he like Who? he came to work for me, Shannon. He's gonna oh, kill me for Lord doing this. He God. came to work for me and five? He, Yeah, when he applied, he came in and, and we hired him and he said, I don't want you to feel like I catfished you but there's something you need to know. And I said, <laughs> what? He said, you're going to get a bunch of letters from different <laughs> counties about child support, okay? I've been around.
2: <laughs> said, my, Thankfully, my first one didn't cost me much. <laughs> um, you know, so
0: <laughs> one of the things, a couple of weeks back, we had an episode, and Dutch was on it, and he said something about consolidation. And, and so it was the one with Adam from Clarity Coat. And we were talking about the millennial generation, Generation Z, Generation X, all this stuff. And he said, well, what do you think that if that's what you feel, if there's not going to be enough people to work on cars, if there's not going to be people who are happy to work on cars, if we can't find good people to work on cars, what happens next? Like, what are we going to do? And Dutch said, consolidation. And it just, like, stopped the conversation. What do you mean? Well, I mean that all the shops are con- going to consolidate. Like, the good shops are going to consolidate. So, something David and I have talked about a lot on the show is how do we get good technicians into good shops, right? Because you're in a good shop. I know your shop.
3: 100%.
0: I know, Jason. I'm telling you, you're in a good shop. And you know that they're treating you right. And you know that if they brought on three or four more of those guys out of the group, there's no question that they're in a good shop, right? No question whatsoever. And so you really also, what you're
1: doing is you're blaming these, the Facebook mods of these large technician groups. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Uh, or you're blaming them. <laughs> well, what's, what's the advice when you go into ASOC? The shop owners group, hey, I'm having issues in the shop. What's the advice? What do you mean? 100% of the time. What's the advice? Oh, what's the, the first tab? thing? Yeah, no, no, no. Raise your rates. Oh, 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 I, yeah. If you hundred percent of the time. A hundred percent of the time. Raise the, your the, rates. Yeah. The advice is raise your rates. I don't matter what it is. Or like, if you have hey. a technician problem,
0: fire your technician. <laughs>
1: yeah. Right? Those are the two answers. No, that's not, well, that's not. That go- I don't know anybody offering. Yeah. It's to absolutely ridiculous. People but people I'm just but, saying, oh, like, the, the advice, the advice in all these large automotive technician groups on Facebook should be find a better shop yes 100%. Like, hey, 100 Absolutely. hey hey so and so stiff me this or they don't buy this equipment or this find a better shop that should keep be me, like put it in an acronym and then just spam the comment section Keep find find until you acronym. find your shop find, find a better shop or now now this is going to be tough
0: for some people to stomach or if you're disgruntled get the fuck out if you're unhappy if you can't yeah, as do long a as good it's job, reasonable.
1: As yeah, long as it's reasonable.
2: <laughs> That's what
0: I'm saying. No, I'm. I'm not just talking about the shop. I'm talking about the industry. See, as
2: a whole. You, you're kind of like that kid on that one particular app that everybody roasted for about three weeks about the ten thousand dollars in tools. Yes. Get out. Get, get out.
0: Right. If you listen, if you are absolutely going to get in here and you're going to you're just going to be mad and no matter what shop you go to, you're going to have a problem and you know that you're not making enough no matter where you go. And you're the you're the God's gift to technicians and automotive repair shops because you're the best technician. You know, truck drivers have this term. It's called super trucker. Right. Like you always knew who it was. You could tell who it was. The dude just thought he was the best truck driver in the entire nation. Right. Dude thought he was just fucking awesome. There's a lot of those super technicians. Right. And I, I don't mean to be disparaging. Please don't take it that way. But what I'm trying to say is, is if you are terribly unhappy in this trade and no matter what you think, everybody's trying to get you and rip you off and you can't see a way around that, man, go do something else. Don't don't torture yourself. Go do something else. Leave the room for the good techs who really want to continue to learn and grow and do more and be better and and let them get into the good shops. My message to everybody listening is if you're a if you're a good tech, go find a good shop. If you're a good shop and you've got a hack tech, fire the hack tech. And if you're a if you're a good tech and you're in a hack shop, you need to move on.
2: Can't agree that more.
0: David, all your technicians are going to quit tomorrow.
2: <laughs> but the thing about it, too, is, I mean, if they're that unhappy, they need, you know, they should leave because they're going to be producing bad work and putting people at risk. Yes.
1: Absolutely. And and so boys, a lot of most people don't know what they want, though. I mean, even, even if they leave, they're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So it's, you know, you see this all the time. The owner like, man, I saw relief in the technician when I fired him. They were just they were waiting to be fired. They just needed somebody to push them out the door because they could move on to something else. And the shop can move on. Everybody's happier now that this technician's gone. And I don't know why people get themselves in that situation. It's like find I mean, an exit plan. We had find a guy, an exit plan. We had a guy at legendary as of somewhat recently, just
2: like that. You know, I don't I don't know his you know, personal side of the you know, that being in that dealership. But Or this shop, but he was just unhappy and angry with everybody. I mean, him and I even almost came to blows.
0: Yeah. and, and
2: It's like you you're, know, you're miserable, leave.
0: Right. And, and it's a culture killer, right? As a shop owner, I know that if that happens, I have to send them down the road. We, one of my very best technicians, and, and he will tell you the story, he, we're, we're an open book. We're as transparent as we can be. We're a family here. We care about each other.
2: That's the way Jason stretches hundred exactly. percent.
0: And and dude, we, we got up in each other's faces one time and I said, go home, you're going home without pay until you get this figured out. And he came back a couple weeks later, you know, he came back the next day, but he came back a couple weeks later and he said, I'm so glad you did that. I was going through something and, and, and you saying that was enough of a wake up call for me to realize I needed to, I needed to work on this. I needed to find some help. I needed to work through this. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think as human beings, we're going to be going through peaks and valleys all the time. We've got ups, we've got downs. You, you know, you've been through some ups and downs. David oh, yeah. been some, You know, we all have. And that can affect how we are in the shop. I'm not saying go in the first day somebody has a bad day and say burn the road up. I'm saying that when you get in, involved with people and you are truly interested in their best interest and in doing what's best for them, it is a whole lot easier. To have that conversation, I'm worried about you. I'm, I'm concerned that things aren't going right for you, or putting your foot down, and saying, "Hey, I can't tolerate this." And when you do that, and they know you care and they care about you, guess what happens? You make progress in that person's life.
2: Oh yeah, right? I mean, I'm I, not going to go into specifics. I'm actually dealing with some personal problems, very similar, you know, pretty extreme, pro, you know, personal problems currently. Hopefully, it'll be resolved next week, finally, but you know, through it all for the past since actually since September, my you know, Jason Stretch and all of the crew has stuck behind me. Yeah. They've had my back, you know, they got me, you know, down the path that I'm going now. Obviously I was already there, but they helped me get through a lot of what I was dealing exactly. with. Exactly. And I would literally be probably homeless and jobless if it wasn't for them.
0: Absolutely. And and that is part of what being a shop family is to me right and it is to david too i, I know his team i know you know we joke and he'd sell a place for half a honey bun he wouldn't um <laughs> but but you know uh, that that's a very serious thought process that we all have to take into account you know it, it's not just a number on a sheet and i don't I think most independent owners, you know, it, it's very easy for technicians to say it's it's not the case. I think the majority of independent owners really look at their technicians as part of the family. I
2: right would probably sure. agree with that. Looking from the outside at other shops, that I, you know, whether it be on Facebook or whatever,
0: right? I mean, you guys are part of the family. We want what's best for you, just like we want what's best for the shop. I think the message that I would send, you know, you're going to have a lot of folks in your group who are listening to this. You're going to share it in your group and they're going to be listening. You're going to be talking about it. What I would hope that you would convey to them. Very important to me that you convey this is go get your owner some freaking help. Right. You don't understand the stresses they they're under. You know, David talked to some owners today that are that were ready to close up the doors. There was a time I was ready to close up the doors. I didn't think I could go on another day. These people are deciding whether to buy diapers and food or parts to fix cars. And it's so easy for technicians to look at the owners and, and villainize them to a degree. Please send the message to your technicians in your group. Hey, make sure the owner knows what he's doing. Yeah. Make sure this isn't just, it's, it's not malice, it's that he doesn't know what he's doing. Make sure if he needs help, you send him to the right place. Have him listen to the podcast. Send him to ASOG and tell him to join up as a member. Send him to a training for owner and management. If your owner of your shop is going to technical training when they go to vision, you need to think about that.
2: I mean, Stretch is going to college for different business. You know, I don't know particularly what classes, but, you know, he's always coming up with different classes and things that, you know, he can take that will help, you know, whether it be understanding marketing, you know, through social medias or, you know, where to spend money here, you know, he's always learning and taking classes and taking training to understand whether it's just his business or his business in general. But this man literally is like no other owner of any business I've ever met. Like the man's just a genius. You know, he knows he can't necessarily do or have the time to do social media. So yeah, you know, he hires it Absolutely. whatever, or whatever his reason is, he handles it. You know, he has somebody else handle it. I mean, you know, he knows that, yeah, he could probably fix some of the cars, but he needs the right techs to do that. He needs the right front of house people to sell the work for the technicians.
0: I agree. And 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 here's the thing is that if we don't work together as a team, and and you know in in that same sentiment, like you you guys are part of the team, you're part of the family. You got to recognize when your owners in trouble, man. I I think there's a whole lot more owners that are in trouble than they're willing to admit. And some of them may not listen. Some of them may absolutely flip out if their technician says, "Hey man, have you checked out this podcast? Have you gone to a training for management? Are we profitable, by the way? <laughs> you know, There's a lot that are absolutely going to take that the wrong way. But there's a lot that if you say, hey, listen, there's some really great management resources that I think would make you less stressed and help you improve your and your family's life and everybody in the shop's life. I think there's a lot of owners who would be receptive to that. I, I hope we can get that message across. Do
2: you think there would be, though? I do. I uh, See, do. I don't think they would.
0: I I was I was at a point where I was ready to close the doors, right? And all it took was a postcard landing on my desk, right? And I, I'll never forget. I had a technician. His name was James, and I can't even say his last name. And if I could find the dude, I would apologize to him because he was trying to warn me that things were wrong with the business, right? And and if I had listened. Things would be better now. But, dude, when when it came time, when I was stressed out, when I was in the place where the the people that David was talking to today, where things are falling apart left and right and you can't see a path forward, all it took was a postcard for a training event to land on my doorstep and me say, you know what? I'm going to take a gamble and do this. That's all it took. I, I think owners are far more receptive I think if the message uh, is transferred to the owners from the technician, hey, I really want what's best for the shop. I want what's best for you. I want what's best for your family. I'm concerned. I think if we could all go to some training, maybe some management training, would you be interested in going to some management training? Hey, I heard about this great podcast. I heard about the ASOG podcast. I heard about Remarkable Results podcast. I I heard about a training at, at Vision KC. Hey, there's a big training at ASTE. Hey, STX is coming up. They've got some great management training. All it takes is planting a seed, and maybe they don't take action on it right now. But if you continue to water that seed, they will take action on it. It will grow.
2: That's an interesting point. I just, I don't, I guess from what I've seen personally, I don't feel like the bad shop owners or, you know, down and our shop owners would listen to their texts because in my opinion, what I've seen by the time that those shops are there, they've already got the bottom of the barrel texts and the, the owners kind of feel like they know they are. Yeah. So who who are they to take advice from is kind of what I've seen and felt.
0: I, I can see in some cases that might be it. Right. And, and the, the key is, is that look, if we've got bad texts and bad shop owners, you know, my feelings on that, it's time they leave. Right. Leave room for the rest of us. You know, you hear me talk a lot about technician pay. You hear me talk a lot about charging what we're worth to be able to do that. We got to get rid of the ones that aren't Yeah, because they're
2: dragging us. Good ones down. Exactly. They either got to come up or they got to leave and uh, they're never going to come up. Right. Because they're stuck in that mentality. Oh, I'm 75 bucks an hour.
0: Absolutely. But now listen, that being said, our organization, the ASOG organization is about helping people and and if someone is willing to accept help we will go, stop at no length to help them right we will do whatever it takes to help them if they are willing to work for it and and accept the help so i don't want to i don't want to count anybody out i don't ever you know it's like saying a technician man you know look dude you you're just too stupid to learn no nah, man i'm never going to say that to somebody right if if they're unwilling to accept the help and we've seen those people in the groups, right? Technicians oh, yeah. and owners, those people are out there. If you're unwilling, now I'm gonna tell you something funny, as being a moderator of an auto shop owners group, I can guarantee you that about sixty percent of the people who don't want to learn, who already know everything, it ain't long before their back saying, Man, I should
2: have listened to y'all. <laughs> you know, they they'll turn the corner eventually. And then you also have the regulars that have been, you know, all the Facebook groups for the last 10 years that yep. are that look one way, but are, if you really went to the books, they're another. I wish you wouldn't talk about Jeff Compton like that.
0: <laughs> I can't believe you would say that about him. <laughs> <laughs> David, what do you think, buddy? What, what's your thoughts There's on no
1: that? There's no service manual section for Rust. That technician that was talking, I always do OE. I follow strictly by the book. It's like, okay. Well, when that yeah. thing snaps in half, you can't go to the service manual and figure out how to get that rusty bolt out. Exactly. There's certain things, you got to just hit it with the air hammer. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. If you'd like to catch these episodes early, you can do so by becoming a patron. Just go to ASOG.site and click on the become a patron now button. Becoming a patron helps support the show, gets you several perks and is tax deductible. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and on YouTube so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me an email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time.